Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series. I'm Acorn. I'm Murgles. And I'm PB. Shall we begin? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Episode five. Episode five. <laughs> Before we dive in, we do want to remind everyone that this is a companion podcast and not a watch along. You should know the drill by now. So hopefully you're tuning in because you're hungry for more discussion, more theories, and more dark. We haven't seen each other's notes, so we're coming together for the first time to discuss what we found about our topic. And this week, it is Katerina, Lady in the Lake. This is part two of our two-part series, Torn Apart Together. God, it's so good. I love her so much. Um, so be before we start with our question of the week, I have housekeeping and it's pretty big. Last week, we talked when we were talking about Ulrich, we miss we all of us misremembered the scene in the jail yeah. where yep. Hannah comes to visit him. And we all thought he told her no and that he shut her down. But it's actually a crazy empowering moment for Hannah where he basically begs her and she shuts him down which yeah. I stood there for a moment and went, that can't, that can't be right. That can't be right at all. Um, but it is. It's straight up Berenstein bears to us. Yeah. yeah. Berenstein <laughs> versus Berenstein. What? What? <laughs> yeah. Actual Mandela effect. We, when PB messaged, we're all like, no, he, he did. Right. And then we went back and watched and sure enough, nope, that is yep. not how it happened. Yeah. So it's also still very interesting for his character um, but Ulrich didn't say no to her. Hannah says she couldn't remember if he'd ever said he loved her. And in that moment, he says, I loved you. I still love you. Get me out of here and I'll leave Katarina. Yeah. Which is insane. Cause we know in some reality, he does do that oh. without, without this, you know? So he says, I love you. Okay. I love you. And then he gets more frantic and starts to yell. I need you, Hannah. Oh. I love you. I didn't make that connection. Yeah. And then she says, the truth is, you don't need me. And then she pieces out. She leaves. So insane. it's It's insane because she doesn't believe him in that moment. But we all know now, after watching three seasons, that it is true. He does leave her. And then, you know, and there is a version of events where he does mean it. And yeah, yeah it's, cr it's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. Well, I guess we don't know for sure that he does mean it, though. Like he does leave Katarina in the alternate universe for Hannah, yeah. but we don't really know if he loves Hannah. I mean, he jumps back into another affair. That's true. That's and it, true. And there is a vibe. There's a very cold vibe about their whole relationship in the alternate world. You know, I think it's because he's already he's already in the cheating part of his cycle. Right. Because if you see in the very beginning, episode one, season one, he is quite lovely to her. He does yeah. not say I love you back, but a lot of people have a hard time with that. So, and 
you know, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's a bit of a struggle and maybe I'm just making excuses for him because I, I enjoy him as a character and I feel badly for him. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's interesting because we made, we made that observation about him needing Katarina, but she doesn't need him, which we're going to talk about this week. But it's, we made that observation and that connection. And then to see it in a scene that we misremembered, you know, you don't need me, Ulrich. He doesn't, does he? Or maybe he does. And then he says, I need you. And perhaps that's maybe more of the crux of his character. He needs, not loves. He needs that yeah. attention. Ooh. I Well, last week, Mergles, you, you touched on that, saying that, I think it was you, how he tends to be or gravitate towards strong women, women who are assertive and who can go out and get things done and are emotionally strong. So I think it kind of goes in line with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hilariously enough, it's almost as if the time that Hannah actually becomes strong enough to not need him is that moment where she tells him off and leaves yeah. him there and he loses his mind about it. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning the scenes that we may have overlapped with this one because he does kind of tell her off twice in the series. And I had to go back and look for it. So I'm like, I know he told her no. I just can't remember where it was. Yeah. There's two scenes in particular. In season one, episode two, he stops her from kissing him in the evidence room at the police station and kind of gently tells her like, hey, not now. Like, let's please stop. He says, please yeah, stop. Yeah. It wasn't in an angry way or anything. It's just please stop. Like, let's not do this here. Yeah. He, he's like verge tears when when he says that, I think, because, you know, his son's missing and whatnot. Right wrong time which was another part of my uh, housekeeping is that when I went looking because I had the same reaction you did when I found out that he didn't say no to her my mind was blown and I went well he ha- he does it somewhere where is it um in that scene there is no color and it just reminded me of that email oh. that we got saying what about the colors in Hannah's affairs yeah and I also didn't realize that Charlotte and him have that affair in that exact room. Yep. Yeah. I had totally forgotten that he and Hannah do it in season one. Anyway, blew my mind. The show's great. Yeah. Same set, <laughs> same like lack of color. It's, it's insane. Um, there was this one other part in episode six of season one where he confronts her about lying about the rape when they were younger. And oh, that's, yeah. Doesn't he like grab her throat? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he like almost chokes her out against the yeah, wall. Yeah. Because I remember that happening. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that is where he asks if she's trying to ruin his family. And that's also where he calls her poison. Yeah. So the scene when he's in jail and she comes to visit him is after this. So I almost yeah. think that is what gave her the, I guess, strength or vindictiveness. Yeah. Yeah. The vindictiveness to turn him down and say, actually, no, you don't need me. Yeah. When I think about Ulrich and when I think about him finding out that this girl that he trusted and considered a friend is essentially she's that trope isn't she that like i'm the good guy next door that's just waiting for the girl to wake up and want to be with me she's straight up like a stalker i'm gonna go to the gym where you work out and just pretend oh it's like that it's like that one reddit post that brad was telling us about about the guy who like yeah uh, used to babysit dude this story acorn is insane telling us that this guy had been babysitting for a neighborhood or nearby like friends family or house sitting or something like that I think it was house sitting and he found her one of his classmates journals in her bedroom 
and read it, read the whole thing. And like, he then said, admitted to using that information to like date her. And he ends the post by being like, and you know, now we're married, but if she ever found oh. out, it would ruin my really, it would ruin everything. Oh my God. Right. Horrific. Horrific. That's some Hannah energy. That's that is that's some Hannah. Straight up Hannah. Yeah. That's Hannah. Fucking awful. Absolutely. That's actually a perfect segue into our next bit of housekeeping. We have a new email. Yay. <laughs> ah! Yay. <laughs> okay. Are you guys ready? I am the mm-hmm. mailman. So I will do <laughs> the mail reading. Now, Acorn and I haven't seen any of this. So we, we're going to ask for permission to say this on the air. And if, if we can, and you're hearing it now, it means we got that permission. Otherwise, we'll cut it out. Um, yeah. However, I would like to say, if you email us, if you could just let us know if you'd prefer if we didn't read it or if it's okay yeah. that we do uh, when you send it. That way we can we can do the live reaction to your message every single time. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So because she's French, Stephanie, Stephanie has said, Hi, everybody. First of all, congrats for your podcast. You do a really great job. We see you really know your subject, so this is a real pleasure to listen to you. I have seen Dark a lot of times, but I still learn from your podcast. I wanted to talk about your episode about colors, which was brilliant, by the way. I don't know if it has been said, but for me, concerning Jonas, the yellow color means the naivety and the innocence. As you, I have noted that he loses more and more yellow over time, but I have also noticed that he totally gets rid of this color when he arrives in 1921 and meets Adam for the first time. After that, I think he will never wear yellow clothes or uh, uh, objects again, except when he disguises himself to be the 2019 Jonas in season two, episode six. Yes. Oh my God. Like, yeah, man, like putting the innocence back on. To deceive. To deceive. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And that's oh that's God. also where we kind of landed with the color too, is God, yes. it means oh, that deception as well. Mm-hmm. They even, now that I'm thinking about that, Stephanie, they even changed the lighting in the scenes so that his hair looks less vibrantly yellow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, great point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's such a good one. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> A man has three lives, and the one ends with the loss of naivety, the second with the loss of innocence, so maybe he definitely loses his naivety and innocence when he meets Adam. What do you think about that theory? Thank it's you amazing. for your work. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Quick answer, amazing. Yeah, amazing. We love it. Yeah. I, I also think it's so awesome that it is backed up by dialogue in the show. So mm-hmm. it's a very good theory because they even specifically say that. And of course, like, could you imagine coming face to face with future you and and future you is like, I always end up this way. No matter what you do, you become me. How broken would you feel and dejected and just like, ah, oh. so, so much and just learning that you are Adam is horrific. I just I can't imagine that. Of course, you'd lose all your innocence and hope and naivety. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your work. Keep going. There is so much to say about this show, Stephanie. P.S. Sorry for my bad English. It's not my native language. I'm French. Stephanie, your English is amazing. Yeah, your English is great. Your English is uh, impeccable. I did not know that it was your second language. I agree. P.P.S. I heard you wanted to know where we do know you from. For me, I've heard about your podcast on a Facebook group dedicated to Dark. Someone posted it. What? No way! I know. It's so wonderful. Okay, so first of all, shout out to Stephanie's Facebook group. 
Okay. Yeah, thank you. Everyone thank needs you. To know, hello to the Facebook group. Hello. We see hello. you. Hi. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for your wonderful email. This like made our day. So thank you so much. Um, and again, everybody, if you're interested in emailing us, it I mean, listen to us. We're so excited about it. So if you mm-hmm. want to, you can reach us at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to send any theories, anything we miss, anything that you want to add. Mm-hmm. Be part of our conversation. It makes us so happy. Yes. Oh, wow. That was that was so eloquent, Murgles. Be part Thank of our you. conversation. It makes us so happy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've been practicing that every time. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. I, I I have to say, after that email, I'm like the fire under my butt. Don't mess it up, peeps. Like, get all your facts correct. <laughs> yeah. Don't get up. But half of our half of our like housekeeping and corrections come from people pointing stuff out that we miss. Like, I wouldn't have noticed the Ulrich thing unless somebody had messaged me to say like, "Oh, this did not happen at all that way." I went, "Oh, okay." So anyway, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Facebook group. We we appreciate it. We love and adore you. Okay, I think we're ready to jump into this week's topic, which yes. is Katarina, mm-hmm. the lady in the lake. Oh, I've I, only been waiting this for I this know. forever. The whole time. <laughs> I know. I know. There's so much to talk about. I can't wait to hear what, what both of you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do a quick recap of her timeline, though, mm-hmm. because I think compared to a lot of other characters, Katarina doesn't get too much on-screen time. She doesn't travel very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a, a quick little recap here. Katerina is the daughter of Helene and Herman Albers. Mm-hmm. And when she's a teenager, she is dating Ulrich. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to, because I didn't know who that was until I went in and looked. But he's the farmer that finds the 33 sheep dead on the morning yep. of November yes. 5th, 1986. So I just I found that, that out w- too. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because we don't see too much of him. And I assumed that Katarina's mother was like a single mother. So, yeah, it's just really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, No, good, good point, because, you know, we have some cases like Greta where we know who Helge's father is, but we never see him in the series. But you're right. Herman is a farmer. So we do see him for at least one scene. Yeah. Although it's kind of implied when we go back in time and see teenage Katarina that her father is not around or if he is he's very absent yes. in the home mm-hmm. um so as a teenager she's accused of being raped by ulrich she and ulrich tie regina to a tree in the forest and leave her there as a prank which kind of fuels into that she's the one that accused her right it's i think that came before i think that was just something that they did no I no s- i think it no. was because yeah yeah it's uh, because they were bullying her like generally they didn't really like her and then um, after the accusation happened, they, they tied uh, her to the tree. Yeah. I, w- I think we should check on that because I did see someone compare the dates. Okay, I'm going to check it. Yep. Someone found the dates and found that it came before. Oh, weird. It was okay. like it was like a month's difference or something. Yeah. But we can definitely take a look. Yeah, let's double check because I... I'm on it. Katarina says, you know, to Hannah, child, like as their teens, she says like, you know, somebody said that they saw this. And then Hannah goes, well, I saw, you know, Regina there. Isn't Regina his granddaughter? And that's when Katarina is like, that bitch. Oh, I have the info, guys. Yep. Okay. Um, Ulrich and his girlfriend Katarina tied her up in the forest at night as a prank. She was found by Ulrich's younger brother Mads, who escorted her out of the forest. Later, Hannah Conwald falsely reported Ulrich to the Winding police, accusing him of raping Katarina. 
Hannah then told Katerina it was Regina who had made the statement, prompting Katerina and Ulrich to attack her when they encountered one another in the forest. And that is when Alexander comes up with the gun and tells them to leave. And that's okay. when Regina meets Alexander. So, okay, you're, you're right. Uh, the, I, I thought that the way that they had lined it up is that's why she attacked her. But she blamed Regina for the false accusation because it's like, of course, you bullied her. That's why Hannah picked Regina as yeah. the one, right? Because it'd be yeah. easy and believable. I think that relationship with Regina, though, shows a lot about their character because mm -hmm. I think I mean, they're very much bullies, Katerina and Ulrich. They, I guess, target Regina for different reasons. But something you just said about Hannah in her connection with the rape accusation, it reminds me later how, it, once again, she manipulates to to mess up their lives. Because remember that one scene where they're sitting at the table together and Hannah tells her, Ulrich told me, that he doesn't love you, that he is going to leave you for me and, and all of that stuff. It's just she has all of these different scenes of manipulating and messing up their lives. It's it's crazy. She's been yeah. manipulating from day one, man. Like even her, it's so tragic because that conversation she first has with Mikkel, she like, do you think I'm pretty? She's thinking about somebody else. Like she just cannot yeah. stop thinking about Ulrich and getting that thing that she wants. Like, you know, winning or, and I wonder like, what is it about her? What, what is that drive? Why does she need that? Does she think it'll make her happy? So, you know, obviously we'll talk more about that on Hannah's episode, but it's just like, I find her very hard to understand. She's very realistic. I've known people exactly like her in my life, unfortunately, but it's yeah. like, why? Yeah. What's the psychology there? I mean, we, we kind of settled on the why with Ulrich and why he cheats or why he goes after certain women. And yeah. we came to a lot of great conclusions last episode. So I can't wait to jump in the same way into Hannah's character. Yeah. So moving on from 1986, we see a scene where her mother comes home from killing her as an adult. And we, we see the evidence of her verbal and physical abuse, which adds a lot of context to why Katerina is the way that she is. And in 2019, she's a principal, she has three kids, she's married to Ulrich, but there's still that element of, I guess, like evidence of her abuse. She's, I mentioned this in, I think the first episode. Killer but I, observation, yeah. She's just, I don't know, there's just a certain way how she treats her kids that I find like particularly gruff. And it makes more sense now that we've talked about how she told Ulrich she doesn't want kids and tells him, go get the condoms because this is not happening, if not. Now, and I think that she says that because she doesn't want to become the monster of her mother. I don't think it's necessarily because she doesn't love her kids. I think it's just it terrifies her, the idea of having kids and being just like her mother. So that's how I took that, that kind of tragic. But I, I have no doubt in my mind that she does love her kids. Yeah. And I think it's it's funny because when you were saying she bullies Regina, I remember thinking it is kind of a common thread where you will see people at school who are bullying because they are being bullied at home and they that's the only way they can get that out. Yeah. Then I thought, why is she bullying Regina specifically? Because Regina is meek and will allow for Katerina to kind of bully her and pick on her and not fight back. Like she is with her mom. Like she is with her mom. But also I think there might be a little bit of 
because she has this with the, her kids a little bit too, where you kind of got to like be stronger or you're not going to like survive in the world. So I almost in a weird subconscious psychology, I wonder if she's bullying Regina because she is either jealous of how Regina can be, you know, not tough. She can just be her herself. And she sees that and is jealous that I didn't have that. And then also just being angry that someone like that exists because it's a reminder that you couldn't be that. You didn't yeah. have that childhood. I think also there is an element of just hatred and frustration yeah. when people who have been forced to be strong witness weakness in others. Yeah, it kind of forces out. you. Yeah, it like forces mm -hmm. you to look at yourself. You suddenly feel very insecure. It's it's like I, I don't it, it's definitely a thing that exists where frustration and anger and just oh my god, just be strong kind of comes out. And I think you can probably definitely extrapolate that with Katarina and Regino. Yeah. I think also it's like when you see something in someone else that you have that you hate about yourself yeah. and you just cannot stand it in that other person, yeah. but it's because you have that as well. Yeah. Like how Regina can't stand up to the bullying, just like Katarina can't stand up to the bullying at home with yeah. her mom. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like it feeds itself, right? Because mm -hmm. she bullies Re Regina. Then when Regina doesn't do anything about it and just takes it, she gets angrier. Like you should be fighting. You should be protecting yourself. Yep. You should mm -hmm. be defending yourself because did, that's what I can't do with my mom. Did yeah. you just uncover another snake eating its tail in Ouroboros? Oh. I think you did. Ah, <laughs> oh, this show is There so it good. is again. Yep. Should we have a sound clip that happens whenever we stumble upon that? Like, <laughs> or like the x-files <laughs> or the like brong that happens in dark that yeah. there you go yeah. oh my god i'll, I'll cut that every up time today <laughs> we found one we got yeah. one boys we got it uh, oh man a lot of the 2019 events we've already covered so far because, you know, the, the anniversary party, mm -hmm. them going over to the Conwald house. Um, the next kind of pertinent piece of information is when Katerina discovers how many times Ulrich has called Hannah on their phone records. Oh. And that's when she, I know, that's when she drives over and confronts Hannah. Yeah. And this was the point where she doesn't know that Ulrich had already broken off the affair yeah. with Hannah earlier. So the, she's just seeing this, goes over to confront her. And then Hannah twists that situation to her favor mm -hmm. by telling her lies about how Ulrich was planning on leaving Katerina, something that his disappearance seems to confirm at the time because he just up and left. Yeah. I, this is jumping ahead. But it's something that I think ties into what we're talking about right this second, which is mm -hmm. the knowledge that Ulrich goes missing. And for Katerina, it's been maybe about six months of searching for him. And Hannah telling her like, oh, he left you because he doesn't love you anymore and all that stuff. And she finds him in the psychiatric hospital and she forgives him within that period of time. I didn't really realize that until I was researching this again. Like I wasn't cognizant of it at the time when I was watching the show, because from Ulrich's perspective, it's been, you know, 
34 years, 34 years. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you think like, oh, 34 years, that's a long enough to accept and forgive someone. And then it just struck me. I was like, it's only been like six months since yeah. she found out her husband time traveled. <laughs> her son went missing. You know, Hannah told her that he doesn't love her anymore. And they've been having an affair, all of this stuff. And she's still she like she never ever stops once. She just keeps looking for them, keeps making plans to find them, forgives him, tries to get him out. It's like insane to me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I had to yeah. bring that up. Uh, for- forgiveness in the face of all of that is remarkable. Now, does she actually forgive him? This came up last week and I meant to go look it up, but I don't think she says I forgive you or that it's okay. I think she just says, we'll get you out of here. I will investigate while you continue. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. Focusing on the words themselves. Yeah. Who knows what the intention is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she just is like, we'll get you out of here. And it's not about, you know, I, I, when I first watched it, I, it was very beautiful, but I definitely took it as a, we will talk about that stuff later you know, because I can't focus on okay, it now. Yeah. Like we'll talk about that when we get home for now. Yeah. Yeah. For now, <laughs> let's get you out of here. But yeah, so I will I will look that up right now while we are still okay, talking. Cool. But um the other crazy thing too is that I like that Katarina didn't fall into that trope of, you know, my husband's cheating on me and so I'm just gonna be an angry bitter bitch. And which is totally fair, by the way. Yeah, it's it's a trope for a reason. It's a totally understandable reaction. But I think I was shocked when she traveled because I went, oh, I didn't expect the writers to do that. And I didn't expect the writers to have so many people travel because that's so ballsy. Like, you know, so many so much can happen and have an effect. And, you know, they didn't keep it this massive secret. They, they let some people travel and even the kids go traveling and it's just, it's so good. Yeah. I remember before learning that it was a closed time loop, that was my reaction. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, how can they possibly let so many people into these different timelines mm-hmm. because they could just mess it all up. Everyone could be influencing everyone else's actions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But they did it. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that that's the other thing about Katarina that also surprised me and I'm with you peeps is this idea that like I expected her to be one way and she consistently proved to not be that way. Yep. She always consistently was a strong, independent like force of nature who was true to herself and yeah. you know, she didn't just accept things that people told her when they tell her about time travel existing. She's like, "No, you're not." And then immediately goes to look it up herself, you know? Yeah. She didn't just write them yeah. off or believe them. She was like, I'm a look into this myself and takes it upon herself to go find him as well. Like she's not, you know, even for any second passive in the things that happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. That's going by the timeline. That's absolutely what happens next. And I think that is really cool how she's very much an independent agent of a character, how she hears about time travel. She's brought into the know um, by Charlotte, I think, in the bunker. Charlotte, Charlotte and, and Hannah. And, Hannah's there. And Hannah, that's right. Hannah was there. Yeah. And she was like, what is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> what are you <laughs> talking about? Excuse me, bitch. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're right. She leaves and she goes to the school and looks up that year and finds the class photo and sees oh. her son in it. And oh. that is such an emotional moment. 
she literally, I mean, I remember being so like bowled over by the emotions in that scene when she just collapses and realizes that it's true. And also what's crazy is like recognizing that she's seeing evidence that her son is still around somehow. I can't imagine there must have been even maybe some little relief uh, while also a mourning because like now he's out of your timeline, which means he's to you practically dead as well. You know, well, but then also she knows what happens to Michael. Yeah. You know, like that's true. Like all of a sudden my boy did time travel, was trapped, went to school with me, you know, then marries that bitch Hannah (laughs) and kills himself. Yeah. Yeah. As you're saying that it's occurring to me how much of that, like, it's not as if Katerina knows that Mikhail is like, a time traveler who realized he had to kill himself in order to keep the cycle going. All she knows is that her boy she married, married Hannah and then killed himself Yeah, and knows when he killed himself. And it was after the affair started. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know if she knows when the affair started, but I tell you what, if I found that out, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go kill Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like yeah. time for me to murder somebody. <laughs> she stole everything. She is very much like a worm or a cancer or something. She's awful. Yeah. Husband and son. Yeah. Imagine Oof. us having to, in the Hannah episode, find any redeeming qualities. Oof. It's going <laughs> to oh, be hard. I can. There are <laughs> a couple. There are a couple. But yeah, most of all, I, I, it's going to be a PB bitches about Hannah fest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the topic, I saw the title of a subreddit post that said, a lukewarm defense for Hannah. <laughs> I forget what was in it, but that's essentially what it's going to be. Yeah. So lukewarm. we're going to have to look that up uh, yeah. and check it out beforehand because maybe it'll be a better <laughs> defense than what I've got in my brain. <laughs> Any luck over there, peeps? See, man, this scene is so heartbreaking because he sees her getting this look of determination. She says, my mother changes shifts at 5 p.m. She has a key card. She always takes the same route and this look comes over her face like, am I actually going to kill my mother? And she gets this look of like fear for her mother still mm. on her face. And in that moment, Ulrich reaches out and touches her, grabs her hand. Yeah. Because he knows. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my and God. He, yeah. He just takes her hand and squeezes it. And then she gets determined, looks at him and goes, we'll bring Mikkel back. I promise. And that's that's it. And then she takes his hand or his face in her hand and says, I promise. And then he gets hope and believes and says, I'm sorry for everything. She grabs onto his hand and just nods at him, but doesn't say anything else. But it does look more like forgiveness on that watch through because she's then she he's got both of his hands on her hands. She reaches another hand up, grabs his hand, squeezes it and just kind of nods like she understands. She doesn't say the words I forgive you, but yeah, she, uh, she nods there but that's kind of written on her face yeah i'd say well it's a profile shot of the two of them looking at each other but she does nod and i think i think it goes back to something we said in ulrich's episode last week um merg said this where they know each other so well they grew up together they know each other's trauma and a lot can go unspoken between them when hannah says ulrich was gonna leave you i don't know if Katarina actually believes it because I think there's a line where she's like he would never leave his kids or just she kind of writes it off 
which on the surface, I think it looks like the standard, I don't want to acknowledge the truth kind of thing that you can, a reaction that you might have when you find out somebody's cheating on you or whatever. But I think it comes from a place of knowing Ulrich totally and completely. He will yeah. never do that, which yeah. is hilarious because he does end up doing it in an yeah, alternate reality. That's true. Yeah. It's funny because um, there is a moment when she finds out and confronts Hannah about marrying her son and sleeping with her husband. She says that Hannah always wanted everything that was hers, like a parasite. She asks if Ulrich ever told Hannah he loved her as he would always choose Katerina. So she like literally says to her, he will always choose me. So yeah. did he ever tell you he loved you? Interesting question. Because he yeah. never did until he the end did. in yeah. desperation. Yeah. Ugh. Fuck, I, I totally fucking forgot about that conversation. I totally forgot about that conversation. And you're yeah. absolutely right. It's like total power play from Katarina where she's like, oh, sweetie. I know him yeah. so well. Like, yeah, he may be having an affair. It also implies that maybe something like this has happened before, but I, I don't know. But it's just like, has he ever said, I love you? No. To kind of illustrate further her faith in him and her knowing him so well, there was that one scene in the first season where she was telling, um, I forget who, but she said, Ulrich would never hurt me. And then it cuts to present day where she was confronting him about the affair. So she has this unending faith in him, even though he keeps hurting her. And if you trace that all the way to their conversation in the asylum, she's still there for him, like no matter what. Like you said, Murgles, I think you said she's a ride or die. She's a ride she's, or die, yeah, man. She's a ride or die. I love her so much. I wonder how much of that, though, is like, if we want to get real deep into her psychology and damage. Which we do. It's her episode. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I wonder how much of that is like her true nature in being a ride or die and how much of that is her only ever context for love from her main caregiver is her mother. And it's a very damaging, abusive love. And her relationship with him is nothing like that. And I wonder how much of her dedication to him is influenced by the fact that he did not treat her that way. And that wasn't their relationship. I just looked up the scene where they do have sex for the first time. There is no dialogue, however, at least not between the two of them. However, as they embrace and Katerina is laying down, there is one line spoken by Martha... Ulrich and Katarina are still on the screen and they're embracing in a very loving kiss. And it says, my mother told me about the old world. And it just makes me, because we were talking about her damage and how she grew up. And in a way, Katarina's mother told her about a way to love. And it was, yeah. it's old. She sheds it to be with Ulrich. And it yeah. just shocked me that it was like right there in front as it, we were talking about that. And just... How strong she has to be to let go of that damage or to work through that damage of being abused by her mother to have a real relationship with another human being. Yeah. And Ulrich is just, yeah, wow. That just shocked me. And then it cuts away from them and goes back to, to Marta on, in the play. But just the fact that they left it on for that one word, that one sentence. Yeah. fucking awesome. Anyway, oh my sorry. God. Cool. Yeah. So she has that scene where she's talking to Hannah and she accuses her, basically blames her for having slept with both her husband and her son. And at this point, she's believing the time travel. And so she comes back later and breaks into the house looking for 
um, either Jonas or the machine. And she, oh, actually, no, there was another scene before that where she finds Marta and the stranger together. Yeah. And that's when she tells them that this is your aunt and this is wrong and stop it. And she drags Marta with her out of the house. And if I believe she is even sort of implies that Jonas as is as snake like as his mother, because Jonas is now going after her daughter. So that's, you know, the the Conwald family is now taken three of her family members, you know? Yeah, yeah, Which is exactly. Abs- absurd because Jonas is your grandson, Katarina. Yeah. Yeah. Your son's son. Yeah. And I was shocked by how she kind of treated him. But she but uh, what would you do after finding all that info out? I I don't know. I don't know how I would react. Yeah. I mean, he's basically a stranger. I mean, the blood tie is there, but he's not someone that she has grown up with or raised. Yeah. So I can see that kind of aggression. coming He is very close to the family, though. And there is that scene where she's kind of everyone's supportive of the idea that Jonas has fallen for Martha, right? And they're like, oh, you come to the the party. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's just, it's just weird. Yeah. But after that scene, she comes back and steals the, the backpack with the light orb, uh, the map of the Winding Cave. And she comes down and sees the albums of Michael as a kid, and really sees the connection there. And it's almost one of those, he's been here in front of me this whole time kind of things and just didn't heartbreaking. realize. Heartbreaking. So yeah, heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Oh my God. Uh, from there, she travels back in time to 1987. She looks for Mikkel. She hands out flyers. Uh, she finds the house empty because Inez and, and uh, Michael at that time had gone away on like a holiday after the almost kidnapping yeah. by Ulrich. And then she finds out that Ulrich is in a psychiatric ward. And so she goes to visit him. Schemes to steal her mom's key card, follows her mother, ends up getting killed by her, and then never comes back to get Ulrich out. Her mom puts rocks in her backpack and sinks her to the bottom of the lake. Yep. I don't know why talking about Katerina right now is like making me extremely emotional. I have tears in my eyes. I might cry through this episode. Like what is happening? I think we look at her as kind of a someone who made it through a traumatic childhood. Sure, she has faults. Everyone does. Everybody has damage. But she seemed like, you know, she's ride or die. And you are too, Mergs. You're also a ride or die. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we, we are ride or die for Katerina, I think. Yeah. Um, that should be the title. Not the lady in the lake, maybe, but ride or die. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's yeah. change it. Um, and I think, I think she, she just strikes me as somebody who was trying so hard to be so strong for so long. And then to just be undone by her mother of all people, like, couldn't it have been some random freak accident? Why did it have to be the one person she was still afraid of? Yeah. The person who abused her for so long is the one who kills her in the end. That's awful. Yeah. I think we also feel for her because she is a true tragic character. She had an abusive mother. Her husband cheated on her. She lost her son. Yeah. And she was killed by her own mother. And And she was still fighting. She was still doing it. And she was still such an amazing character that like there was not a single moment of her on screen where you felt that she was scared. You felt that she was angry. You felt that she was 
happy. You know, you saw all of these things, but there was never a moment on screen where you felt that she was completely undone. Yeah. As she fought until the, the very, very end. end. Uh, there is there is one moment that in a rewatch made my blood run cold. The first time through the series, season one, Marta yells at Katarina to get her life together because her and Magnus are still around. We're still here and you're just kind of going on and you're lost and blah, blah, blah. He's dead. And Katarina slaps her and is oh, like, yeah. how dare you? You know, don't say that. And when I first watched that, I was like, she fucking deserved that. Like, I know you're mad about the situation, but your mom is literally like wounded here. Don't say your brother's dead. Like, come on, there's a way to do that. Then when I realized that Katarina's reaction in that moment when she saw she hit her daughter is oh my God. fucking traumatizing. Shit. Yeah, it's really rough. And then I think she says something like after that, like I, she makes some weird comment and I don't, at the time I remember being like, okay, you're being a bit dramatic. Like, you know, you were fighting in a slap. Maybe I'm damaged. You know, like maybe that, you know, that should probably never happen. Anybody hitting anybody at any point should never occur. But like, I I thought it was understandable at the time. I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. But you know, on a rewatch, I remember being like, oh, I see why it upset her so much that she had slapped Martha. Yeah. And it's wow, just I, like, yeah. Oof. I did not expect to cry during this episode. Yeah, me either. <laughs> um, but it's it's a really good one. And I I, I have to say... I, cr I cried when Katarina's end came in the show as well. And I don't think I oh, yeah. cried at any other point. I think I maybe had a tear fall when middle-aged Jonas was making a line, but it's just because of the way he delivered it. But yeah. I, I cried at the end of Katarina's arc. I was like, no, don't. And I think I was even begging the TV. I was like, please don't let this happen. Like, don't let, of all the people and Katarina, don't let her die here. And her just like, when she like grabs the dirt, like her hand, yeah. like trying to, oh and God. I just and like. she's being dragged. Ah! The only time oh. I think you see her surrender is when she, she's getting beat by her mom in that like one scene. Yeah. After her mom comes back from killing adult her and she yeah. like is slumped against the wall. And I actually, you know what? It's crazy because I think that you don't see how abusive that relationship is until after she dies and her mom goes yeah. home and then beats her. And then suddenly you yeah. realize this generational trauma, again, generational trauma that is depicted in this show of just like generation after generation. Um, I read a thing that described that she, Helena, crosses her arms and has a demeanor that's similar to Greta. And I thought that there was like, you know, a really crazy aspect of that in the sense that yeah, I don't know, this sort of abuse and generational trauma that follows you and and yeah. That slap, I hadn't thought about that slap from that perspective. Me neither. It's it's kind of it's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking in general, but when you look back at her reaction after she has done it, it's like, "Oh." It's crazy that like in an episode about Katarina who in my opinion, is one of the strongest and like best characters that I feel for so much in the show. Her entire existence is this like strength, right? But like it just reduces me to tears. I'm like shocked at my reaction of just like literally wanting to sob thinking about it. Yeah. I'm like that's not her. So why is it me when I think of her? Does that make any sense? I think it's a bit of like, oh, I want to be that strong. Like I've also suffered from trauma. 
and she can do it, then I can do it. But in the end, she gets murdered by her trauma. Like, yeah, the metaphor there is that there yeah. is no escape for her. It's like she parallels Ulrich in a very crazy way. Ulrich never tries to break out of his loop. Ulrich is constantly repeating himself with no attempt to break out. Katarina has kids. We don't know what conversation they had after. We don't know that she said no kids and they got accidentally pregnant. We don't know mm -hmm. if they had another conversation after where she goes, I think I want to try. Let, why not? You know, and then they have a family. But everything else in her character arc shows that she's constantly fought against her trauma and has made it work. She has a happy family for the most part. Like, again, she is still severely flawed, but she does her best. And then it's like, your best isn't good enough. You still got murdered by your fucking trauma. Like, I just, nothing will be more tragic to me than that. Except that at the very end, she's seen at the dinner table, happy. Yes, thank God. Yeah, right? Thank God. And I think yeah. the, the crazy thing about that too is that we don't know what happened there. Because the implication is that without Hannah tra time traveling, that her mother still, you know, had an abortion and was still potentially abusive, but she just came out all right in the end. Like she still managed to survive yeah. and come to terms with it and get massive amounts of therapy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and but also just... without Ulrich, what happens to Hannah and, and Katerina is that they're friends and they're sharing yeah. dinner. Yeah. There's not something driving them apart. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting about that scene. One of the notes that I have actually is they, you know, go to make a wish and Katarina wishes for a world without Winden, which is super interesting to me because Hannah asks Ulrich in episode or in season one, episode three in the 1986 timeline, if the world ended and you could make it new, what would you do? And Ulrich would say, I want a world without Winden. That's what mm. that was Ulrich's answer. And so I find it so interesting that Katarina says it at the end, because who got that? Was that Katarina and Ulrich just shaped himself around what Katarina says and what Katarina wants? Because without Ulrich, she still says the same thing. I don't know. Oh, my God. What if it's not just that Ulrich has no future, but anyone with Ulrich is doomed to no future? Anybody that gets tied up in his web. Well, because the timeline, right? Jonas yeah. kills his mom. Holy shit. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Speaking of moms, yeah. by the way. Yes. Helene, I, so the first time I watched the show, I thought for sure she was not at the abortion clinic to have an abortion. I thought she was there just like helping because mm. she was introduced as Helene Alvers and the name on the door was Obendorf. So I'm like, oh, okay, she's just helping. She's like tidying up for some extra change or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I think the second watch through that I, I found out that, or it was implied that she was getting an abortion herself and she's like 12 or something. I do find it very strange. I don't know if this is an oversight or not, but she introduces herself to Hannah posing as Katarina as Helene Albers. And she's later married to Herman Albers. I did see that as well. Why does she have her her married last name as a kid? Oh, that's probably an accident. Oh. Unless it's the 50s and she was married at 12 or however, however old she was. I mean, it was the 50s. I mean, not to get not too the... dark, but child marriage is still legal in the United States in some states. So yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't know. I don't I don't think there's any evidence for it whatsoever. But it was that is fucking dark as fuck. I think. Yeah. 
as much as it pains me to say, I think I'm just going to say that that was an accident. A flub. No, it wasn't. Oh, God. I found that also in my research, and it was listed as an accident. Like, it was listed as a yeah, flub. Yeah, but by the official show or just no, sleuths, right? No, I don't right? know. Let me check the official slow. Yeah. Because I, th I think, I, I want to say they definitely did it with farmers a lot, but we'd have to look up child marriage in not the U.S. In we'd Germany, have to look yeah. it up in Germany, yeah. I tried to and I couldn't find anything because that's, I was caught the same yeah. way, PB. I'm like, it has to be an accident, but then it's dark. It's like, possible that it's not, right? Yeah, it's possible that it's not. It could be just a hidden commentary yeah. hidden part of the story. And that's something really beautiful about dark that I don't want to ever fall into that trap of being like, oh, that's just an accident and write it off. Again, yeah. we're like Katarina. We want to do our due diligence and research for ourselves. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there's some there's some interesting things I'm reading here specifically about farming and agriculture where child marriage is definitely still one of those practices, um, which is blows my fucking mind to read that uh, people sending their 12 and 13 year old daughters to live with 65 year old men. I just uh, asked Denki whether yeah. or not that was like a thing. And um, and he said, no, I don't think so. Like, it's like maybe but i i really want yeah. to say okay. no um, so if anything it's it's probably not like an issue to the point where the general populace would find out i do think in kind of in line with what pb was saying it's kind of a global thing but in pockets of communities where they are farmers or agricultural or you know religious reasons or whatever but like if we follow that for a little bit if Helene was young, 12-ish, and she was married off to an older man, she got pregnant and then got an abortion. Those two things right there would explain so much about how she ended up the way that she was as an adult. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very severe, abusive. Even if she wasn't married off. Like, I definitely took that as she got pregnant and had an abortion um, because she... When she's beating Katarina, she says, I should have done, which is just a fucking awful thing for her to hear. It's such a yeah, horrible thing to say. Pause right there for a second. What you just said, Helene does end both of her children. Oh, my, oh my God. God. She <sighs> ended her first pregnancy and then she killed her daughter. So fucking Can we? Can what? we rename worst worst female character of the year from hannah to helena <laughs> can we just move that <laughs> just shift that over True. we have an oscar and it says worst woman of the year <laughs> it's just a snake. worst person yeah it's just <laughs> <Serpent>. a <s> <laughs> <laughs> fucking absurd yeah but i also i do have a little bit of compassion too because i can't yeah. imagine you know going through that at 12 um, I did just see uh, here, it does appear that a new law only just passed in Germany to raise the legal age for marriage uh, to 18 to prevent child marriage. And that only happened in 2017. Yeah, I found so, that from previously, it was that you could marry from the ages of 16 to 18. If one of the partners yeah. was 18, then you needed like legal, uh, you needed a judge to basically allow it. Um, yeah. I can't find anything that says that 12 was an okay age, but, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, at least my experience with the U.S., it's always been like with parental permission at a certain yeah. age you can marry. So, so maybe yeah. that's what I'm seeing as well. The German federal court has ruled that child marriages will still be legal in Germany, provided they are carried out legally under uh, the some law. So I just like I don't know if that's like a cultural thing where they make exceptions for I don't know what that is, but. Um, yeah. But that's that's horrific to think that maybe they didn't make a mistake. Maybe it was that she was married off so young. Um, or, you know, the other alternative is that they're related. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense for her to, uh, if she was married at 12, it doesn't make sense for her to go through an abortion at 12 unless like it was a medical unless she decision. Didn't want it. Yeah, either she didn't want it and she was sneaking and yeah, yeah, was doing true. it on her own. Or like maybe if he thinks I'm barren, he'll leave me alone. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. that's dark. That's dark. Yeah. Sorry. No, mm. no, 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 no. I'm I'm with you. Oh, oh, God. That puts a little more context in or around the, her meeting with with Hannah, because let, let's just say she was a child bride or whatever. Yeah. She was married young. She's married, pregnant, sitting in an abortion clinic about to have an abortion at an age mm -hmm that that is not ready for and then in walks this beautiful woman in a red dress wearing a necklace of saint christopher and she introduces herself as katarina i can see how hannah could be like that beam of hope like yes. i could yeah i want to turn into this beautiful woman she's in the same place that i am right now but look at her she has it figured out she's gorgeous she's whatever like well adjusted i can imagine that's how or why the name katarina made such a huge impression on her yeah because in that moment of despair she sees an example of what she wants to be in the future yeah i totally agree with that theory that is my favorite theory of what happened there and i do think yeah. even if she wasn't married young i do subscribe to she was she was pregnant and 12 and pregnant in that room and she went in to get an abortion done and that she did see hannah that way also as well, like Hannah, I think with her modern sort of sensibility would take the 1950s by storm. I mean, she took like Egon Tiedemann by storm in the sense that she was completely independent. He probably never met any woman like her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she goes to go get an abortion. Don't I mean, don't do it in 1953, but, you know, whatever um, <laughs> she goes, she goes and she doesn't really seem it's not like she seems like she's having a real, real trouble with the idea, you know, because yeah. she's from 2020. So or 2019, depending on when she when she traveled back. So, yeah. you know, I think it's almost like it really would feel like someone who's out of time being there, yeah. going against everything that you've ever known or ever seen and being completely fine with it. Yeah, she didn't like try to hide herself when she walked. She wore a red coat there, you know, like, you know. Yeah. Hello. Oh, I have a thing. I'm so sorry. You mm -hmm. reminded me of the red coat. Yeah. Her mother is wearing a red coat when I she know. beats Katerina to death. And yeah. red boots. And I want to fucking die. I, I want can't. to fucking die. <laughs> I can't <laughs> deal with it. I can't deal with it either. It's like it's that fixed. But I think it's that fixed moment in time. Like this yeah. is unchangeable, inescapable. You, you can't get away from it, which I think is part of the reason why I have a little bit of compassion for her mother, because think about it. Hannah shows up or Hannah shows up posing as Katerina and is this beam of light. We know that she has an abortion in that clinic that night. Not Hannah, but, you know, Katerina's Helene. mother. Yeah, Helene. And then what? 
has a baby later and we just don't know if it was unwanted, but the name Katerina makes me think it was wanted or she thought she could change yeah. or she thought she could escape her own cycle of abuse. It was hope. Yeah, yes. which is why I think that, you know, even if she wasn't, you know, married young or whatever, I think, I personally think she was abused by a parent or something. She, it was a very abusive situation that she was in because she repeats that pattern with Katerina. But I think she had Katerina thinking she could get out of that cycle of abuse, but then ends up not being able to escape that cycle. So, yeah. so that's tragic too. But I do have a bit of compassion. Whereas Hannah is an actual fucking snake. She, she just does things to try to get her way. She's not, you know, trying to escape a pattern of abuse or she's just, she still gets my snake award is all I'm saying. Just self-serving. Yep. I just, sorry, my mind is currently blown. If mm -hmm. we look at Helena from the position of, I mean, what are the chances that you're 12 and you get pregnant because you've been going on dates? If we think of her as being, an, and you know, you don't just, that kind of abuse doesn't come from nowhere. So mm -hmm. if we think of her as being abused and maybe this pregnancy came from a family member or something like that, survivors will talk about how they were abused as kids and they have their own children and they think they're fine until their child is the age that they were when they were abused. And then they, and then they have a full on fucking out. breakdown. Mm -hmm. And if you think of it like that, and we go back to this concept, maybe Helena began her cycle of abuse with Katerina, not when Katerina was young, but when Katerina became of age Hit that 12. she, yeah, that she was abused. And instead of going, oh my God, my baby, you know, instead of healthily dealing with the realization that that's what you looked like when that happened to you, and we all sort of don't realize the things that happen to us when it happens to us because we're just living our life. And then the reality of going, that's that was me when that happened. I didn't realize I was so little, oh, God. you know, and instead of going like, OK, I'm going to deal with this or I'm going to go into a depression. She just saw the weakness and took it out on Katerina. And then Katerina does it to Regina. Yeah. God, that's fucked up. I also think it's pretty crazy that, you know, Katerina is going to kill her on that walk home and uh. Katarina's mother is like no she has the same reaction Katarina would have that fight yeah, yeah. Uh, in her like no I'm not gonna let you you know do this and I, I will beat you with a rock before I let you you know attack me Katarina I am a huge Katarina stan yeah I think that's what we're discovering here yeah she's she's one of my favorite characters but to bring that back around like I, I was talking to a friend today about that we were going to Ulrich last week and then also this and how part of the reason why dark will forever be one of the most haunting and magical things I've ever seen is because every character feels like a real person, even the Hannahs. I think it's like when I make NPCs for the, the shows that I run, I'm like, oh, they are in this area now. I need a character or an NPC here that lives here and does this and interacts with them or whatever. So I start that and then I work backwards. But never in my life have I ever said, what would make a character be this way? And I think that's what they did with Dark. I think they went, Ulrich, he's a serial cheater. What makes a human do that? What are some of the ways in which I wouldn't be surprised if the writers of Dark either had a human psychologist involved in the writing process or one of them was just super interested in human psychology yeah. because 
it has it, it has changed the way I will probably look at making characters myself for role play and or the writing that I do for, you know, tabletop and, and stuff like that. I will now go, this is a cool character I want to have. And I yes, I have to still retroactively write them because that's how tabletop works. But what would make a character do this? Yeah. Or have these motivations. And I think that's that's something that's so beautiful with Dark. It, it never feels like, oh, they just did that for a plot device. It genuinely feels like Katarina's mother would, of course, beat her to death. She's also yeah. a fighter. She's never going to surrender again, really, yeah. is I think what it is. You know, that's Katarina too. I'm never going to surrender except when it's her abuser right in front of her. Mm -hmm. oh, I think it's, it's so cool how we recognize truth in things because of psychology and because of our ability to recognize patterns. What you just said about characterization and, and how... You can do it really, really well in writing is spot on, first of all. And it reminds me of something I found recently about writing, how they not only started with who is this person, what do they look like, what do they want, et cetera, what are they going to do in the plot? They went into the psychology of them. It's what are their ghosts? What are their moral weaknesses? Who's the person they're going to become by the end and why and how did they get there? It's like, no matter the character, it feels like they've done that for everybody because so far, and this is one of the reasons I'm so excited about talking about each character, you can think of any character in the cast and be able to break them down layer by layer by layer to get to who they are as a person. Yes. Yeah. So who is Katarina as a person now that we've talked about all of her damage and the things that she's done? She's the fighter. She's the ride or die. And I think... Um, I think it's crazy because Marta is cyclically representing that line, that fighter line. And Marta says stuff that I think Katarina, that's her mentality as well. Martha says he's not going to come back from us just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. And then she yells at Katarina and says, I can't let others down. They need me. And I feel like that's Katarina's MO for the most part as well. She is like, oh, I have to take action. People need me. And I think without Katarina, there would be no Marta. And without Marta, they wouldn't have reached the end because you need Marta to be strong and be that fighter to be able to, you know, really, truly undo the loop. It's crazy, too, because Katarina is not part of the cycle. Katarina is out of the cycle. She lives at the end. She doesn't have any blood connections to the cycle happening. So it is true. It's like she raises Marta to be strong enough to do these things. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It is interesting, though, because Katarina in the alternate universe is quite different from Katarina in our main universe. She almost seems way more motherly. Yeah. Somehow. And I'm curious as to why. Did, did she experience no abuse when she was younger, maybe, in this universe? Or she did, but she met the right people. She got the right help, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been she got therapy. Yeah. yeah, she probably yeah. got therapy and dealt with it. That Bob yeah. is a therapy Bob, I will say. It does read, <laughs> I've been to therapy with the Bob in the glasses. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> she looks so good. She, she really so does. does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ulrich's really missing out on that timeline, Katarina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously. I love her. This is a bit of a bummer, huh? This episode. This episode was rough. Yeah. What yeah. happened? Bittersweet, I would say. 
Well, it's just her story is rough. That's all. Yeah. But she's still like, she's still super powerful. She's an amazing character who takes action. And I think ultimately she ends up okay. And that's what we have to remember. Yeah. You know, stuck in that time loop. It's a wound. It's an infected wound that's going to fester and just kill everybody around it. But in the end, she's okay. Who's she yeah. with at that end scene? Is she by herself? She's by she's herself. By herself. She's Fuck yeah, she is. Yep. <laughs> Katarina God, don't need her. no man. Katarina oh. doesn't need anybody. I mean, of course, we yeah, all need someone. Yeah, it goes someone, back but to that. Yeah. Where Ulrich needed her, but Katarina didn't need Ulrich. Yeah. Katarina's got that two strong legs, you know? And two fists for fighting life. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah. God, I love her. Sorry for crying, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, all of us actually cried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. Okay, though. It's good. Be ready to, to wrap up, though? Yeah, I think so. I do have something, some things that are Mm -hmm. fun that I want to share. I ran across this photo series of a fan of Dark who I guess they either travel to Germany or they live in Germany and they found the locations where they (gasps) shot and took pictures of themselves dressed up as a Dark character. So no way. Really? Oh, my God. Okay. Why am I not doing that? I'm literally yeah, here. Yeah. Oh, Dude. you should definitely do that. Or Acorn and I need to come visit and it, we'll, we'll do it. It'll be like a um, pilgrimage to the dark places in dark. Oh, my God. That would be I can incredible. show off my German to you guys. Impress you. <laughs> exactly. And we can sit down at the lake where Katerina gets murdered and just have a good cry. <laughs> oh, my God. It's <laughs> just be like, ah. That um, sounds therapeutic. Yeah, it does sound pretty therapeutic. Um, okay, so um, please what is continue. This? I'm sorry yeah. I interrupted this dark Oh, vibe. no, it's okay. So mm-hmm. I, I found these in two places. It originated as a Reddit thread. So I'll include a link to the subreddit. But I also grabbed the pictures because I the link didn't work for me. I don't know if it's broken or something. But I found the pictures somewhere else. So I'll include okay. both. There we go. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I fucking love it. I should That's really so cool. I need to look up the location of the film. I can't believe I haven't done this before. I was trying to see if Winden was a real place and I went down on a deep dive on that. But let me look at the actual filming. I think it's in and around Berlin. So the original poster said that their boyfriend took the pictures and they said that they found the locations through the I want to say the fandom wiki. There's a link here. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. It says that it was filmed around Berlin. Why have I not looked this up before? Dark was written by a woman husband team. No way. Mm-hmm. Yes. I did not know that. I didn't either. Why didn't I look that up? I love I love the series so much. Why haven't I looked up who fucking made it happen? What is wrong with me? Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the reason why I was also going to mention this is because somebody on the set, and I want to say it's the right one of the writers was taking high quality photos of the scene like they were standing in the scene and then they were holding a photo of oh yes yes did it's you on that see page. those click through the the fandom link that's in german there's mm-hmm. at least two of them on the side where they did exactly that um like the school for yes. instance and a yeah. picture of Jonas walking towards the doors Yes. Okay. So it's photos like that. Now, one of the either the writer or the director or the cinematographer on their website, their official website of Dark, there are these photos as well. Oh, my God. I just found out. Oh, my God, dude. (laughs) Stop. Do you live like an hour away? Well, I do live an hour away from Berlin, but it's insane because uh, when I went to Berlin last year um, on our vacation, 
we were going to go to the castle. So Berlin has some castles sort of outside of, of the city. It's a Lanke castle. So Schloss Lanke uh, in Brandenburg. <laughs> it's like terrible. Um, in the north of Berlin. We were going to go. And that is the place where they filmed Regina's hotel scene. So the hotel. No way. And Egon, I believe it's like the Tiedemann house. Um, oh. Is that's that's the, the castle just outside of Berlin. It, it drives me insane because like we were literally going to go last year, but we were like, oh, I don't think we have time. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, I've been there. <laughs> Can you um, imagine? That's crazy. That's super cool. Jonas's house is a real house. The owner sells roof tiles of the house and organizes tours for a fee of 300 euros. Wow. <laughs> so you can what? go to the house. That's insane. Well, that's awesome. Anyone who wants to do a pilgrimage, you can literally go to Jonas's house. So I will include uh, in the show notes. You remember like a couple weeks ago when I started freaking out about all the high quality behind the scenes photos that someone was taking on the set of Dark? Well, I think it's more than one, obviously, but one of the writers of the show and one of the directors, because it's that wife and husband duo, I think there's more people involved in the writing. So before I just assign it all to the two of them, but I just went to his website and I saw a lot of the high quality photos that I was freaking out about from behind the scenes. So if you haven't seen these, you absolutely should come look at this photography because it is in, it is incredibly breathtaking. I love it. These are gorgeous, though. They're stunning. I love the yeah. ones with um, young Katarina, actually. Yeah. Because you can really see her face as the actress in these. I love how she's wearing a shirt that says love. Yeah. Holy oh. shit. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's so nice. That fucking photo. Can we that's talk the about one I that? was talking about. Yes, yeah, right there. Oh but my god! Look at her expression and look who's behind her in the yep. shadow. Her mother. Yep. Fucking unbelievable. And of course, we'll include all of these in the show yep. notes. So if you're listening mm -hmm. along and you're saying, "What are they looking at?" Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I'm just going to say this because I, I keep forgetting to say this. When we start doing this kind of stuff, go ahead and pause and then just pull up our the website, which is geekgeneration.com/dark/show/notes. And it'll show you just go click on our episode and then you can follow along with us and you know what we're reacting about. But so great. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, do we want to go over where everyone can find us? Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Mergles. You can find me at twitter.com slash Mergles. Also, I stream on Twitch. I'm making an animated film, um, which I've talked about in every episode. So I'll keep it short. <laughs> um, so that's where you can find me. Thank you so much. And I'm PB, and you can find me at Twitter at Pumpkinberry and also at Pumpkinberry.tv. I do a whole slew of things, other cool podcast projects of TV shows that I'm interested in or video games that I really like. I also GM once a week a narrative-driven improv show on Wednesdays, which you can check out there. And I do my own bit of live streaming as well, which you can find at twitch.tv slash Pumpkinberry. But everything, again, can be found at Pumpkinberry.tv including some photography. And I'm Acorn, and you can find me at a new landing page that I put together because it's so much easier than shouting out each individual thing. So if you head on over to joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, slash pages, slash Acorn, you'll find all of my stuff. I'm going right now. <gasps> look it. It's got Twitter link. It's got like every individual. Oh, look it. There's our podcast. Dark Companion Podcast. That's
Oh my God, yeah. it's so cute. Thanks. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. And of course, if we're missing anything, you can tweet at us individually or use our hashtag darkcompanionpod or write us an email at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. Like we mentioned at the start, we would absolutely love to read your email live. So if you don't mind, please add in the email if you'd like us to do that. Special thanks to Johnny Caballero for letting us use the beautiful cover art. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny Knight, J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. We are also a proud part of the Geek Generation Network, and you can find more awesome podcasts related to cool, nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies over at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into dark with us. We'll be back next Thursday with episode number six. Lovers in a dangerous time. We're going to talk about the threads of love and the ways in which love is a good thing and a bad thing. What results and what people sacrifice for love. Sounds fucking great. (laughs) Sounds so good. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.